Good morning, everybody. Nice to have you all here today. My name is Dan. I'm the children's pastor here at Great Oaks. And uh, Bill is away today. So I have the pleasure. I have the pleasure of leading us in the study of God's Word. I'm going to ask that you pray with me as we get started here. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, we thank you that we can come into your house and worship you with songs. Now, God, we ask that you open up our ears and our hearts to what you want us to learn as we study your word. May you guide us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in Upstreet, where I spend most of my time on Sunday mornings, we've been doing something for the elementary age kids for the past 14 months. It's called the Gospel Project. What the Gospel Project is, we take all the kids back in Upstreet through a, a uh, series of lessons that last three years long. And we start in Genesis, and we take them all the way through Revelation. We're going to do that in three years. We're about 14 months into it. I think it's going great. I've really enjoyed it. I hope the kids have. Uh, so last month, I was teaching the kids large group. And during that time, I spent time teaching about Elijah. Uh, I spent two weeks about Elijah. And I was thinking as I was teaching it, going, wow, this is great stuff. This is stuff that the adults need to hear. And so, since I, have the, since I have the pleasure of preaching this morning, and it's a standalone message, right? It's not tied to a series at all. I thought, well, this is my opportunity. I get to teach you about Elijah today. And so, I'm excited to see what God does here this morning. Um, something I've found, though, in these standalone messages, not tied to a series, I think it's best, at least I appreciate it when I'm out there listening to someone preach, if they can put it into historical context for me, especially in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, if we're honest with each other, something that happens a lot, I think, is that uh, we sometimes get the stories and the timeline all mixed up, right? What's happening when and who said this and why did that happen and where was that and when did that happen, right? And so this morning, I'm going to do something I've never done, all right, except for first service. I did it, obviously. But... Uh, before today, I've never done it. And I'm going to take you through a very quick uh, Bible history lesson of the Old Testament, starting in Genesis up through 1 Kings chapter 17. All right? I'm going to do this in about three or four minutes, hopefully. All right? And so I'm going to just paint this picture with very broad strokes just to put the lesson of Elijah in 1 Kings into historical context for you. So here we go. All right, so... It started in Genesis chapter 1. God made the heavens and the earth, and then he made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve chose to sin, so God put them out of the garden. Uh, and then mankind began to sin and sin a lot, and they became very wicked, so wicked, in fact, that God had had enough. And he sent a great flood, and he sent a great flood to the earth to destroy mankind, except for one family. He saved Noah and his family. He, he, and he had them build an ark, and he, and he saved that family so that after the flood, they could repopulate the earth, all right? So then many years later, there was a man named Abraham that was born, and God came to Abraham, and God told Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation through you, and I'm going to bless the world through that nation. So, so Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had many sons. One of those sons' name was Joseph. Through a series of events, Joseph ended up going up to Egypt. He became the second most powerful man next to the Pharaoh in Egypt. One of his jobs was to store up food for a famine that God told him was coming. 
the famine hit, it struck that whole part of the known world at that time. Joseph's family was living in Canaan. They ran out of food. They needed food. They had heard Egypt had food, so they went up to Egypt to ask Joseph for food. Joseph gave them food, and he also gave them a place to live. They moved up to Egypt. Uh, sooner or later, a new pharaoh came into power. He didn't like the Israelites because the Israelites were having babies, lots and lots and lots of babies, all right? And uh, very quickly, very fast, kind of like Great Oaks Community Church, lots of babies. <laughs> so they were having all these babies, but Pharaoh was afraid that the Israelites were going to take over, so he made them slaves, all right? 430 years later, God sent a man named Moses. Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness. Then God raised up Joshua. Joshua led them from the wilderness into the promised land. Once they got into the promised land, God gave judges, 12 judges. It was the judges' job to help the Israelites live God-honoring lives. Uh, but after a while, the Israelites were looking around. They saw the other nations around them, and they thought, wow, they all have kings. We need a king. God says, no. That's not a good idea. They said, we really want a king. God says, you don't want a king. I need to be your king. I will be your king. They said, no, we really want a king. So God said, I will give you a king. If that's what you want, I will give you a king. God gave them a man named Saul. Back in Upstreet, I sometimes call him Tall Saul because he was taller than everyone else. He looked great on the inside and he's, uh, or, or he looked great on the outside. He started out as a good king. He ended up doing a miserable job. After Saul was David, the Bible says David was a righteous man, but he had his flaws for sure. After David, his son took over. His name was Solomon. Solomon, the Bible tells us, was the wisest man who ever lived. Even as wise as Solomon was, he made a very bad choice. Solomon did what God told him not to do. He married women from the nations around him, lots of them. And he brought them into Israel. And when they came, they brought the worship of foreign gods and idols with them. Not only did Solomon say that was okay for them to worship those gods, he actually built places for them to worship those gods. Very bad idea. And so then, as his wives were worshiping these gods, they eventually turned his heart away from God towards these foreign gods. God was not happy. God told Solomon, Solomon, because you are doing this, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, but not from you, from your son, because I'm going to honor the relationship I had with David, your father. So I'm not going to tear it away from you. I'm going to tear it away from your son, but not the whole kingdom, just part of the kingdom. So when Solomon's son became king, God split the kingdom. Originally, there were 12 tribes. Then 10 of those tribes went up north. They became the northern kingdom of Israel. Two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, stayed in the south. They became known as the southern kingdom of Judah. In the north, northern kingdom of Israel. In the south, southern kingdom of Judah. In the northern kingdom of Israel, it lasted 200 years. There were 19 kings. Every one of them was evil. Every one. Friends, that's not easy to do. 19 straight kings, and they were all evil. All right. The seventh of those kings was named King Ahab. The Bible says he was the most evil of all the kings. He was a wicked, wicked man. One of the things that he did was that he brought in Baal worship into the northern kingdom of Israel. And it had a lot of really 
sinful, evil practices. One of them was that followers of Baal would sometimes take their own children, give them to the prophets of Baal. They would kill that child, put it on an altar, and burn it to the God of Baal. We're talking wicked, evil stuff. And this is the kind of leader Ahab was. As bad as he was, he married Jezebel. She was even more wicked. And as, and as we read 1 Kings, you can find out, I think Jezebel was actually the one in charge. Uh, it kind of looks like Ahab was kind of her puppet. Uh, but they were not a good couple. Not good at all. And this is where we find Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17. The first time that we see Elijah's name mentioned in the Bible is in this verse. Follow with me, please. 1 Kings Chapter 17, starting in verse 1. This morning, we're going to do a lot of reading. We're going to do a lot of reading. So I hope you brought your Bibles or your smartphones so that you can follow along with me. If not, then, play, then uh, I just ask that you pay very close attention to what's being read. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. Go back up to verse 1. All right, so we have Elijah. He goes to Ahab and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except in my word. It's the first time we see Elijah. And he goes to the most evil king of all the kings, right? And he says, as surely as God lives, the God of Israel, there will be no more rain except for when I say so, right? No introductions, no small talk, no friendly banter back and forth. Ahab walks in and says, that's it, no more rain. Which is interesting because Baal is thought to be the god of thunderstorms and fertility. I think God was making an extra point right there. Right? He says, no more rain. Bam! Right out of the blocks, right? Bam! Elijah walks in. And then he goes, uh, after that, God's like, okay, now we really made Ahab and Jezebel upset. We're going to get you to a safe place. We're going to go hide you for a little bit, Elijah. All right, so let's pull up a map here. If we look at this map, if we see over here, this is Samaria. This was the capital of the northern kingdom, kingdom of Israel. God sent Elijah over here 30 miles east to a brook. And God sent ravens to feed him in the morning and in the evening. And Elijah had his own personal water supply. Right? That's pretty cool. God took care of Elijah. And then after that water supply ran up because of the drought, God sent him up north up here to Zarephath. That is about 90 miles. That's a long walk. He sent Elijah up there because God was taking care of Elijah. And he told Elijah, there's a widow up there, a poor widow. 
I'm going to use her to feed you food, right? Wow, that's pretty cool. So he goes up there, and God takes care of him. This brings me to my first point this morning, friends. God's plans and provisions always go together. His plans and his provisions always go together. Think about what God asked Elijah to do. God asked Elijah to go to the most wicked king and to make this very bold statement. I don't think that was an easy thing necessary for Elijah to do, but he was obedient. Because he was obedient, God took care of Elijah. He made sure he had food and water to eat and drink, both for, both for a little while and then for a couple of years up north. Right? He was taking care of him. Friends, If God calls you to do something, or me to do something, he will provide us with what we need to do it. He's not going to ask us to do something and not give us what we need to carry out his plan. So if God asks you to share the message of Jesus with your neighbors or coworkers, he's going to give you the words to do it. If he asks you to take care of orphans or someone who needs help, he will, you, he will supply you with the means and the strength to do it. If God asks you to lead a small group at Great Oaks Community Church, he is going to give you the skill to do it. I'm not saying these things are always going to be easy. I'm saying that God will be faithful to give us what we need when we carry out his plan, plan and are obedient to him. He's never going to ask us to do something and not give us what we need to do it. Now, friends, i got a question for you this morning. Is there anything that God has asked you to do that you aren't doing because you're afraid he's not going to meet your need? Is there anything God's asking you to do that you aren't doing because you're afraid he's not going to meet your need? Let me say two things if you find yourself in that situation. First off, that's being disobedient. That's never a good thing. Second off, you are depriving yourself from the joy and the excitement of seeing God work in your life. Right? And there's not much more exciting on this earth than seeing God work through us as a human being to build the kingdom of God. That's awesome stuff. But if we don't obey him, we won't see his provisions. We won't see him at work. We won't be his instrument. Point number one, God's plans and provisions always go together. Let's keep reading. The next few verses there in 17, down through the start of 18, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of very interesting things that happen there that we can't read. So I, I challenge you to read them this week sometime. Let's go into chapter 18 now of 1 Kings and start in verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Skip over now to verse 16, just because we're tight for time here. 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, 
Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. and No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one of each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Wow. Now that's a story. That's something. Let's go back to verse 29. But there was no response. No one answered. 
No one paid attention. I find that verse almost comical. Of course not. Of course Baal didn't answer. Why didn't he answer? Because Baal's not real. Right? Because he doesn't really exist. So we can't answer, obviously. Friends, sometimes, though I think we have the same sinful tendency inside of us to set up a false idol, a false God, something that takes our time, our emotion, our thought, our finances, our energy, our life, our love, and we turn our eyes off of God and we put it on this false idol. And the whole time, we like to pretend that it loves us, that it knows we exist, that it even cares about us, but it doesn't. It doesn't. In the end, there is only one God who will love us back. <clears throat> Friends, I think we need to get ourselves regular spiritual checkups every week, if not every day, and to think about it. And to think, is there anything that I've turned into an idol? Something that has taken my thoughts, my energy, my money, my time, my love, my life off of God. We need to ask ourselves that. Give ourselves a regular checkup. There's a man named Robert Robinson lived a long time ago, and he wrote a famous hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in it, he, he wrote these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I think he said it very well. We have a natural, sinful tendency to wander away from the God we love. And we need to give regular checkups and think, is there anything in my life that's taken me away from the God that I love? Let's keep reading. Verse 37 says, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. Who are the people that he's talking about? If you go to verse 19, it says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. The people are the Israelites, not the prophets of Baal. He's talking about the Israelites. Think about that. These are the same people who have seen God do miracles. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents have seen God do amazing things. Amazing things. These people at one time had loved God. They've worshipped God. They've followed God. And now they find themselves worshipping these hideous, sinful, wicked, false gods that they've set up. Wow. And then what's it say? Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again the first few times I read this as I was studying for this sermon, it didn't jump out at me. And then as I was reading this, wow, it, it just really stood out, that last word in that sentence. 
that you are turning their hearts back again, again, again. That brings me to my second point, friends, and that is this. God is patient with his children. He is patient with his children. Friends, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a very long time. Maybe you're here semi-regularly, but it's been a long time maybe since you've opened up the Bible on any day but Sunday. Perhaps you're here every week. And on the outside, you, you look good. But on the inside, maybe you know things aren't that good. The worship and obedience to God's not there. Friends, perhaps, perhaps you strayed away. Maybe you set up a false idol. Something else has got your time, your attention, your money, your thoughts, your life, your love. Friends, if that's you, it's no accident you're here this morning. You're here this morning because God is patient and he's loving and he wants your heart. He wants you to turn your heart back towards him and he's brought you here this morning to let you know as we study this exciting message of Elijah, God is patient again and again and again waiting for his child to turn their hearts back towards him. Friends, if you're here this morning and that's you, maybe God's talking to you. I'm going to pause for just a moment and we're going to pray and I'm going to move on to the next point. Dear Father, there's someone here this morning and they've been away from you, worshiping something else, whatever it may be. God, you've got them here this morning. God, I pray that your patience will affect them, that your love will invade their hearts and that they give their hearts back to you today. That this be the day where their hearts are surrendered to the loving, patient, almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to skip the next few verses. And we're going to go down to chapter 19. Again, those verses I'm skipping are important. We just don't have time to read them all. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. What God she's talking about, I'm not real sure. Right? Are these the same gods that just got embarrassed on Mount Carmel and have been proven not to exist? Yep, those are the same gods. I, I don't understand some people, but this is who she is, I guess. All right, so she says, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around 
And there by his head was a cake of bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. All right. So here we have Elijah. And man, he is down. He had just had this incredible experience on Mount Carmel, right? God rained down fire and burned up the altar. And then, Elijah, and then Jezebel found out. And she's not happy. And she told Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Right? So Elijah runs. In fact, he runs. We'll, we'll pull up that map again. In fact, he runs all the way down here to Beersheba. All right? All the way down to Beersheba. He was over here at Car Mount Carmel. He runs all the way down there. He's at the southernmost point of the southern kingdom of Judah. He left the northern kingdom of Israel, went down to the southern kingdom of Judah. Right? He's as far as he can get from Jezebel and still be in the promised land. But then the Bible says he went even further. And he goes all the way down here. Forty days and forty nights of journey. That's a long ways. And he travels down into the wilderness onto a mountain called Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, the same mountain God spoke to Moses on and gave him the Ten Commandments. So there's Elijah. Man, he's discouraged. He's down. Jezebel's after him. And he runs and he runs and he runs. He runs into the middle of nowhere onto a mountain and into a cave, hiding, discouraged, all alone. Things aren't good for Elijah on this day. What happens next is very exciting. Let's read that next verse. And the word of the Lord came to him. Let's stop right there. Don't let that phrase go by without letting it sink in, friends. And the word of the Lord came to him. It brings me to my third point, and it's this. God pursues his child. God pursues his child. I've mentioned it in sermons past. I'm mentioning it today, and I'll mention it again in future sermons. Because it is one of the Essential things we need to understand in our relationship with God is that God pursues his child. Five times in the Bible, that theme is made very clear and is a major theme, all right? I'm going to tell you what they are. Genesis chapter 3, God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Why? Because God loves his kids and he wants, and he wants to be with them. Exodus chapter 40, God tells Moses, Moses, build a tabernacle. So Moses builds this tabernacle. Why? Not so God can have all these rules and laws and regulations. No, because God loves his kids and he wants to be with them. Luke chapter 2, God, in the form of his son Jesus, comes to earth. He leaves perfect heaven and he comes to a sinful ruined earth with sinful people. 
and he's born in a stable, and he's laid in a manger. Why? Because God loves his children, and he wants to be with them. In Acts chapter 2, when Jesus goes back to heaven, God sends his Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of the people who repent and confess Jesus as Lord. That's our promise. God sends his spirit into our lives. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to be with us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible tells us God is coming back again and he's taking his children home to be with him in heaven. Why? Because God loves us and wants to be with us. Never, ever forget that. It's critical because he loves us and he wants to be with us. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, God sees Elijah. And man, oh man, he has run to the middle of nowhere. But God knows where he is because God knows where all of his children are. And he sees Elijah. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Wow, that's awesome. And then he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Let's stop there for a moment. What did God not do? He did not rebuke Elijah and say, Oh, man, Elijah, get your act together, buddy. Come on. No. No. This is Dan's paraphrase about what went on there. God says, Oh, Elijah, I understand. Uh, Hey, Elijah, let's get out of this cave. It's cold and dark in here. Let's get outside getting some fresh air, some sunshine. Elijah, I got something for you. I got something for you, Elijah. I'm going to send my presence down here, and I want you just to soak it in. Just stand in my presence for a while, Elijah. That's what you need. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Why in the world would God send a windstorm so strong that it broke up the mountain, an earthquake, and a fire. I don't know for sure, but I think I might know. I think it's for this reason. If you think about it, in the olden days, when kings would go into a village or a town, what would they do? They would send their soldiers and chariots ahead with someone like a herald or a trumpet, Right? To let everyone know in the village, the king is coming. The king is coming. 
right? What's God do? When God's going to make his presence somewhere, what's he doing to Elijah? Elijah, pay attention, buddy. The king is coming. The creator of the world is about to arrive. Pay close attention. He's saying, world, creation that I made, wake up. Your creator's here. Right? That's what God uses, fire and earthquake and wind for, because he's God, he can do it. That's his messenger. But it says God wasn't in those things because those were simply announcing his arrival. What was he in? A gentle whisper. We don't know what God whispered to Elijah. I'd like to know, but God kept that private between he and Elijah. But I can totally in my head see Elijah and he hears that gentle whisper and he's like, wow, that's what I need. I need the gentle whisper from the powerful presence of God to let me know he's with me, to let me know he's here. Friends, I think probably every one of you has a story about discouragement that you've experienced and hopefully about how God has delivered you out of it. I also have a story. I'm going to share it with you for a few minutes not because it's any more significant than any of your stories, but simply because it illustrates this point. Uh, I've been here at Great Oaks now for uh, almost 10 years. For seven years before I came out here, I was an assistant pastor in Lincoln, Nebraska. I felt God called me to that. Uh, Soon after I got there, I had a difficult Sunday. Difficult Sunday turned into a difficult month. Difficult month turned into a difficult year that turned into two or three years. I was very discouraged. My spirit was broken. My mind was polluted by the discouragement. Things weren't good for me. I wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. Many of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like God wasn't holding up to what he said he would do. Felt like he wasn't even with me. Things weren't good. It got so bad that a friend of mine gave me an application to another job outside of church work. I put it on my dining room table. I was like, wow. I walk by it every day. Not every day. A lot of days I look at it and say, not today. Not today. Not today. I went to church one Sunday. It was another bad, difficult day for me. I was like, wow, this is the day. I am done with church work. I'm finding something else. I know God, you might have called this to me, called me to this, but I'm done, 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 done. After church, I was walking the halls waiting for people to leave. They couldn't leave fast enough. I'm like, get out of here, people, get out of here. <laughs> Kept hanging around. This, this woman comes up to me. She was 75 years old. I'm an estimate, about 75 years old, I think. I knew her. I had talked to her. Uh, I really never shared any of my concerns or that's certainly what I was feeling with her at all. I didn't need to. God did. She came up to me. She said, Dan, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay. She just pulled me out of the hall, took me in my office, closed the door, and she looked at me. I can quote what she said 15 years later because when you hear the voice of God, you don't soon forget it. And she said, Dan, don't quit. 
dig your fingernails into the side of the mountain and hang on with everything you've got. But whatever you do, don't quit. Friends, the tears just began to pour out of my tear ducts. I felt like I was flooding my office in my own tears. Why? I'll tell you why. Because on that day, I didn't need a miracle. I didn't need a miracle. I needed to know that God knew where I was. I needed to know that he cared and that he was with me. And God whispered to me through the voice of a 75-year-old woman. and said, Dan, I got you. It's okay, Dan, I got you. I'm with you. Friends, I can't help but think some of you are sitting here today discouraged. Wow, huh? feel like quitting, quitting any, quitting whatever it is you're discouraged about. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a marriage, a relationship. Elijah was life. He wanted to quit life. Maybe some of you feel like quitting because you're discouraged and you're down. I certainly want to take this moment and say, God knows. God loves you and God's with you. But what I say really isn't that important. I'm going to read a few verses from God's word. I got five verses I'm going to read. The Bible is packed full of verses that tell us how much he loves us and how he is with us. I picked out five. If you're here this morning and you're discouraged and you're down and you just need a whisper from God, perhaps, maybe, maybe this will be your whisper to let you know God is with you. I want you to listen closely to these verses. Deuteronomy 31.6, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. John 14.16-17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because another sees him, nor knows him. You know him, because he dwells with you and will be in you. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen: The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. And one of my favorites, Zephaniah three, seventeen: The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's our God. He is with you in the middle of discouragement. He will help you. He will get you through it. That's the God we worship, friends, a patient, loving God who doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but is with us in the middle of the discouragement. We're going to finish reading this next paragraph, and then I'll wrap it up. Verse 14. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The same thing he said in verse 10. 
Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu, to de- uh, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of, Je- of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. 7,000 people, friends. God was way ahead of Elijah. God had already worked it out. Elijah didn't see it at the time, but God had already been working. He saved 7,000 people who had not bowed down to Baal. Friends, I think that God is always at work. Even Even when we're discouraged, he is way ahead of us working things out, taking care of us, planning a way for you and for me just like he did with Elijah. Friends, in a few days, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, one of my favorite holidays. I hope we all take time during that day to thank God for the many blessings he's given to us. I hope near the top of that list is that you personally can thank God for being a God who always sends his provisions along with his plans, who is patient with his children, and who pursues his children because he loves us and he wants to be with us. That's our God. I'm going to ask for the worship team to come out. They're going to come out, and if God's speaking to you this morning, I'm going to give you a few minutes as we sing to pray. Maybe God's put something on your heart he wants to deal with you right now with. Take this opportunity to pray, to meet with God, or you can sing along with the band. After that, I'm going to come up and I'm going to close this in a prayer.